Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Today's show dives into some heavy topics of suicide, discrimination, and mental health. If you're in Australia and want to talk to other LGBTIQ plus people about getting support, you can call or message Q Life free and anonymously on one 184 527 Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, your definitive weekly news source for contemporary gays. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here to help you be the best G you can be. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Gays Revolting, and follow us on our new Instagram at Gays Revolting Pod because our old one got banned because of our pictures of Mikey's butt. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, she done guys. broke the internet. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome. Hi. We are not joined by our regular hosts for this podcast. Unfortunately, Kyle is off seeing Sure, yes. <laughs> which is the only acceptable reason to yeah. not come to our podcast totally. recording tonight. But in in place of Kyle, we have the lovely Micah, who is the CEO of Minus 18. Hello. How are you, my darling? I am great. Which, a huge I'm... accomplishment, but I have just discovered that you are also, if when someone Googles gay Halloween costumes, you're one of the first pictures that come up as well. I am. It is one of my proudest achievements. I, yeah, I'd have that tattooed <laughs> on my lower back if I was you. I don't have to. I just need to Google myself <laughs> and pull out my phone. Uh, also here, we have the lovely Luke, who has to take little steps so that he doesn't prolapse. <laughs> It's true. And Marky, the only man that could leave a hole in my heart bigger than the hole in his ears. Oh. Uh, now, for this episode of The Gays Revolting, we are doing something a little bit different. We've chatted a few times about mental health yeah. on the podcast, and we've received a lot of feedback from people talking about that they're enjoying hearing people talk about it so openly and stuff. So we thought we'd do a special episode of Gays Revolting, and it's a, our mental health special. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to record a jingle for it, but I didn't think it was appropriate. It's like the after school special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the mental yeah. health special. <laughs> that one's Great. Um, so we are focusing on on all things mental health. Yeah. But to get started, we should probably have a little chat to our, yeah. our special guest on the panel oh, tonight. So yeah. All attention yeah. on me. Um, so you are the CEO of Minus Eighteen. For listeners that aren't aware, tell us what sort of work Minus Eighteen does in Melbourne. Sure. So we are Australia's LGBTI organisation for queer youth, and we run events and education and programs. And we're all about making a country and Australia. 
play out that's a little bit better for all the queer youngins out there. Mm-hmm. And I guess kind of, you know, the way we do that, we started by running underage events. And Which I went to those events. Did you? Who I else did? You know, I didn't. And I, I wanted to say this oh. to you because, like, how long has 18 been going for? It's been going for 19 years. Yeah, Amazing. right. Holy so, when yeah, I, right. I, I remember when I turned 18, I went to my first Midsummer Festival, which is uh-huh. Melbourne's Gay Pride Festival, seeing Minus 18 and being like, fucking why didn't I know this existed? Right. But I think it was still in its infancy and so was the internet, like social media. It was so hard to find out about stuff like that sort of, of thing. Of course. I'm so glad that it's an option mm. for kids to go to now because it would have yeah. helped me so much had I have known it existed. And it started as quite underground yeah. dance, underage dance parties yeah. where not many people knew about it. I went along as a 16-year-old yeah. and, you know, it changed my life completely. Yeah. And we thought, man, we could do something with this. Yeah. And we had this beautiful little world and we thought, let's take this to the rest of Australia. Let's go into schools and educate on what it means to be young and queer and celebrate our identity. Because a lot of the messaging that we were seeing in schools was photos of young people with their heads buried in their laps with like scrawled mm. text over the top of them. It's not okay to say that's so gay. Yeah. And all yeah. that sort of messaging. And we wanted to celebrate our identities yeah. as young people. And that messaging really caught on. Yeah, and we right. partnered with programs like Safe Schools Coalition yeah. and kind of created our own charitable organisation from mm. this movement of young people that started 18 years ago. And Minus 18 actually started because there was a mum who her son was sneaking into the Peel yeah. at the age of 16 oh, really? with a fake ID. Yeah. When she spoke to him about it, he said, I just want to make friends. You yeah. know, there's no one I know. And so she got together with some other of the P flag, the parents and yeah. friends for Lesbians and Gay Association, and said, let's host an underage event. And they put up flies in schools back in 1999. Oh, wow. And, you know, they got 40 kids along to the first event with a mission of celebration that resonates so, so strongly with the community yeah. um, and a friendship and of connection. Because at mm. the end of the day, you know, not a lot of young people identify that they need mental health support. Yeah. A lot do, mm. but very few put up their hand and say, I need to go to see a counsellor. Mm-hmm. But every single one of us identifies with the need to make friends and the need to have fun and the need to celebrate who we are. And then we can provide support once they're in the door and we can yeah. say, hey, have you ever considered talking to your school counsellor about the fact you're being bullied? Or have you ever considered going along to this service and meeting other trans young people? You know, you can you can start that conversation, but if they're not in the door and they're not there, they're not engaged. Mm, and yeah. I think that's where other services have been struggling. I think being involved in mental health and the LGBTI community at the moment must be interesting because there's a lot changing Mm. politically, legislations are changing, and just the general public view of LGBTI youth has changed Mm. in the last 10 years. What has your experience kind of been from being on the front lines of, you know, a mental health support service for young gay people? Look, young people are on the forefront of change, and that's been the way it's been for all of history, and that's really cool and really exciting, Um, one of the most exciting parts about working with young people and it's really important to note as well that young queer people are more likely to be activists too Mm. because the mere act of coming out is a form of activism Mm. we self-advocate and we have to defend our identity from the moment of publicly acknowledging it which also breeds a sense of empathy and compassion Mm. because we ourselves understand the negative experiences of other people and we're more likely to rally and fight for those experiences and stand up and recognise that they're not fair 
which is where the concept of intersectionality comes up, which mm-hmm. is looking at the common links of experiences, not just being gay or being queer or being trans, but other identities like living with a disability or being a person of colour. Absolutely. Um, and those are parts of the narrative and the conversation that is really emerging in the queer community at the moment and has been for a really long time, but particularly with kind of the crescendo of marriage equality and one of those, that, that kicker issue out of the way, the floodgate opens for the, the rest of the experiences. Mm, yeah. And we kind of compare the sexuality conversation and the gender conversation as two different things. And we say gender and particularly trans and gender diversity and non-binary identities in terms of their progress and their rights acknowledgement and visibility are about 15 years behind. Mm. And we look at some of the public discourse around, you know, the, the, bathroom panic, the um, gender whisperers that's happening at the moment. Um, It's okay to publicly slam and be awful to the gender diverse community, in particular Mm. gender diverse young people. Mm. You can't do that with gay, lesbian or bisexual young people anymore. You you just cannot be a public figure and do that. It is not allowed. You will be dragged through the mud but it's still okay for the trans community. That's probably the biggest issue and the biggest Mm. change but also particularly with the young people we work with you know we're seeing a lot less young gay guys in particular coming to minus 18 Um, and from our experience as well we know that they're particularly in metro areas I don't want to generalise too much Mm -hmm. having a a okay time particularly going to high school parties socialising in that regard because they go oh I know another gay guy I'll introduce you and they can network that way amazing and again that's not the case for everybody but we're we're certainly that's the trend hearing that a little bit more. You know, when we look at the mental health statistics of the trans and diverse youth community, um, before the age of 25, more than uh, roughly about half will attempt suicide, Mm, which is actually fucked up. Yeah. That's why we as a community, particularly as the gay guys in the community, you know, it's so important for us to be across all of this Mm. and um, acknowledge that there's a part of a community that represents who we are and our identities that we need to still be involved in. Even in my own circles of friends, there's a real disconnect between the trans community and the cis, queer, gay community as well. And it's not necessarily through a lack of care or a lack of compassion. It's through a lack of connection um, and a lack of understanding. And bridging those connections and bridging that education, I think it's up to us to do that. And we shouldn't be reliant on other people to educate us like we wouldn't be expected to educate other people. We expect the whole community to be queer inclusive. So we, as cis gay men, should be trans inclusive. Mm. Mm. I mean, Luke and I have already thought about that on this podcast. We thought about it last week, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Because I I have a a similar attitude and, and people have called me idealistic for it. Tom. Me. My name's Thomas. <laughs> My name's Thomas. But it, it, I think yeah. it is the modern attitude that we all need to take is that we need to be in the forefront of educating ourselves yes. and knowing the other experiences. And I'm sure we'll touch on it throughout the show tonight, but something that I've learned from doing this show and from hanging out with other members of the community was realizing that that individualistic approach to the LGBT lifestyle really 
puts you on the back foot when it comes to connecting with other mm. members of the community mm. because we all have such a different experience of it. It's yeah, why it. there's four of us on this show. Mm. It's why we argue and it's it's yeah. why we <laughs> make each other laugh. Mm -hmm. It's just a little switch that you can flick in your mind and go, that was my experience as a gay man. That's great. I know what that feels like. What did this feel like for everybody else? Yeah. It, it's, it can be challenging to recognise that other people have it harder. And as gay men in particular, like a lot of us have had it really shit. Mm. I had it really shit. I hated myself growing mm -hmm. up, and particularly as a person of faith, the shame that was associated yeah. with my upbringing, the homophobia I intrinsically felt every single day, ruined my mental health and my ability to love myself for a really, really long time. And it took me a while to get out of that mindset that my experience was the worst thing in the world, because as bad as it was for me, there are actually a lot of people in our community that have it far, far worse. It's okay to acknowledge that without taking away from your own trauma and your own pain and suffering. Gender identity in particular affects everyone. It affects yeah. us as gay men. When we look at the queerphobia that we experience, the verbal harassment perhaps on the street, it's generally because of our gender presentation. Mm. It's because we look queer or we're acting feminine. Mm. And while that is not the same as the experience of someone who is trans or gender diverse, it is because of a form of our gender expression. Mm. And so the fight for gender equality and expression of every gender, regardless of the sex you're assigned at birth, actually does affect us as gay men. We're all part of this fight together, and we all benefit from it as well. Mm. So, our government perpetuates a whole bunch of misconceptions about the Safe Schools initiative. Firstly, what is Safe Schools, and what are some of the misconceptions out there about the program? Well, Safe Schools was a national initiative by the Department of Education and Training um, from the Australian government, which was a series of programs to support LGBTI young people in high school and to help prevent homophobic and transphobic bullying. But the program had a few different layers to it. Schools would sign up to become a quote-unquote safe school. And in order to do that, it meant that the school had to actively acknowledge that they had a problem with either homophobic or transphobic bullying, or they had LGBTI students that they wanted to support. And teachers could opt in for training on how to support LGBTI students, and they could learn how to start queer-straight alliances in the schools for the queer students, celebrate rainbow days, and have access to a curriculum where they could teach around LGBTI topics in schools. But the the entire program was optional and a lot of the controversy or the misconceptions mm. stems from fear-mongering and a lot of lie, like pretty much outright yeah. lies. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I'm, I'm really curious, I can go into the debunking, but what mm. some of the things that you've heard about the program I, and <laughs> some of the crazier things that we heard was that we were going to teach seven-year-olds how to um, orgasm. Mm -hmm. um, what? They said there were links to like porn sites. Links to porn, graphic porn. Mm, in yeah. the curriculum. and Yeah. Uh, that they were going to be encouraging boys to wear dresses to school. Yeah. And like same-sex role-playing in class That's right, and yeah. like, mm. that was ridiculous yeah yeah it's really interesting as well, you know, what kind of occurred was that there were so many lies and they were so frequent and so often that in order to even begin responding to them, it became a catch-up game and just became impossible. Mm. And, like, it had no sexual help in the yeah. program whatsoever mm -hmm. because we know that that's a pretty controversial topic mm. and sexual health in Australia is really far behind 
anyway. Um, what concerns me is none of these parents were actually reading no. the literature. And it's like, if you really care that much about what your kids are, go actually read what it is about. Don't read the, you know, Herald Sun article about what they think it's about. Yeah. I think in their minds that is reading about it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. And that's the concern. <laughs> it's the problem. Yeah. It, just, it was really troubling because, you know, my, my own mum who was reading these news articles was coming to me, you know, saying things like, oh, I think you may have gone too far. And I had to kind of explain to her that what she was reading verbatim quoted in a newspaper is a simple lie. It was in quotation marks or it was set in parliament under parliamentary privilege and Mm. people were called pedophiles, myself included. And you can't have any cross of action because it's an MP under the protection of the law. Um, And it boils down to a really simple premise and that's that people didn't believe that queer students deserved to be safe at school or deserved quote-unquote special treatment. Mm. They are more likely to be bullied, more likely to experience poor mental health outcomes as a result of that. They are more safe on the street. They're more safe skipping school than they are to be in school. Mm. And that's an epidemic. Mm. And that's what we should have been focusing on in that narrative. Um, But instead, we were focusing on this idea that you can corrupt or convert somebody to be LGBTI. And even if you could, that's a bad thing. Um, yeah. I've spoken about it before, but my education at an always Catholic school for sex ed was one lesson, one PE yeah. lesson, mm-hmm. uh, where they told us if two men have sex, you get AIDS. And that was the extent of it. It's been a few years since then, since mm-hmm. I was in school. What is education like now, especially when looking at queer issues and sexuality? And how detailed is it these days at your standard school? Yeah, look, it's pretty grim. The real problem, I suppose, just with Australian education in general is that it isn't standardised. There is an overarching curriculum, but there's no one or no whether that curriculum is held to account. It's part of the curriculum to teach inclusivity of sexual and gender identity, I believe, is the one line in the whole curriculum. But how teachers go about that or whether they actually do is determined by the individual teacher, which opens you up for some fantastically inclusive classes Mm. championed by queer teachers and ally teachers. But it also opens you up to that same old homophobic teaching for schools or for teachers that have a personal agenda to be that way. And when we look at sexual health, even for a straight cis perspective, it is enough to scratch, yeah, no. let alone for the queer community. Mm. And mm. it comes back to this idea that when we t- start to talk about anal sex or we start to talk mm. about sex as a means of pleasure, parents freak the fuck out mm, yeah. because there is some sort of moral code, particularly in Australia, mm. where we're not allowed to cross that line with mm. people who are having sex sending nudes via Instagram, but having a conversation about that in any way rather than do not do that is seen as corruption. Mm. Luckily, there's episodes one to six of our show yeah. that covers <laughs> all of those topics. Yes, put that into the Safe Schools program. <laughs> so much of what kids learn comes from their parents. What do you think parents can do to adjust their behaviours? We never had parental engagement. And in fact, to go to minus 18 when I went, I just told yeah. my mum I was going to the movies and I'd be back later that night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which Classic. was a really yeah. Com- yeah. It was like, how is the movie? Yeah. That's yeah. my first three relationships. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, in about 2010, we started to run the Queer Formal, which was a little bit of a different event. It was more that high school-esque 
kind of mm. event where you could take a same gender partner, you could yeah. wear the clothes that um, aligned to your gender identity. And after that event, I walked outside to a line of parents oh, wow. out there who cheered as oh. the um, young people came out of the venue. Oh, that's amazing. So sweet. And it was the first time we had had parental engagement. And from there, parental engagement has increased dramatically. Um, parents calling to make sure that, you know, the event is alcohol-free, that <laughs> yeah. their child will be safe, and just your general everyday parental mm. concerns. Yeah. Generally, you know, organisations wouldn't want to deal with that, but we love yeah. it when parents contact us. It's like the old blue light discos we used to go to, <laughs> oh, Luke. I love them. Down at the I police love them <laughs> <so> <laughs> But where the struggle is, again, is around gender identity. Um, and that mm. stems from this real lack of understanding around what gender identity Identity is how mm. that impacts a young person, um, and this association with body mutilation. A lot mm, of parents okay. associate that with, yeah. and the medicalization of what that means. You know, and, mm. and young people who are trans need parental support yeah. in order to access medical intervention, and that's when you need parental permission to a degree to be trans. Yeah, you know, if you're queer, you don't need your parental permission to go kiss someone of the same gender. Mm. Um, you mentioned the, the, the queer formal there, which is such a beautiful idea. Minus 18 queer formal got hijacked by the Christian lobby a few years ago. I think I do and they started that. a campaign trying to get people to buy up all the tickets so that oh, the kids yep, couldn't yep. go to I it. I remember this. So Minus yeah. 18 were very smart and started a program where LGBTI people and their supporters could buy the tickets and donate them to kids so that they yes. were still available for the kids to buy. And mm. I think you had, most of them ended up being bought by the LGBTI community for them. Yeah, yeah. we ended up having all 600 tickets bought for free free by um, elders and parents and family yeah. people from the community. Yeah. And, you know, there was whispers of a protest forming yeah. outside the venue as well. But, of course, you know, these sorts of people, very mm. rare to show up in the yeah, light of day. Yeah, they're good online, but they're not that good in person. Yeah. Um, quite a few people organised to um, wear angel costumes and stand outside of the venue to welcome and dance oh. and celebrate um, as the young people came in. And it was really confusing for the young people at first because they were like, yeah. who are these people? <laughs> Dressed as angels. Who's that old queen yeah. dressed as an angel? He's doing beauty school dropout out the front of the- <laughs> and And the first thing I do in my welcome speech was I got up and said, those people out there, the reason why tonight is free is because they donated mm. and then people like them donated that ticket for you. And the kind of collective... Oh, Mm, in the yeah. room of all the young people realising as it clicked for them that there is a whole world out there that love and support them. Because when you're young, that just doesn't exist to you. You don't yeah. understand that there's a community because you're not yeah. part of it yet. Mm. And we've been trying to foster that intergenerational connection since mm. because there is so much beauty and so much support. And it goes two ways. You know, Older generations are constantly floored by the confidence of minus yeah. 18 mm. young people. We ran an event on the weekend and we had quite a few people from other organisations come to visit and host stalls as well and afterwards they were just wide eyed and saying these kids are really cool they are, you know, they're 14 years old and they're going around talking to me like super confident they're like at that age I would never have been that Mm. confident I wanted to talk about a topic that we've kind of touched on because it's pervasive throughout everything we talk about in a lot of ways, which is the prejudice that LGBT or gay men experience sort of on a daily basis in our everyday lives. Just for example, I was I work in a psych practice the other day 
a psychologist came up to me because I hadn't met a particular client and I generally mm. know everyone that comes to our practice. And she said, oh, you haven't met so-and-so before, but just letting you know, he is. And as soon as she said he is, I mm. knew in my head where this conversation was mm. going and I knew where the sentence, the sentence had already formed in my head. And I was 100% right. She said, he is an older man. He is not completely up to date on, you know, social issues. And you might not want to be at front of house when yeah, this right. client comes okay, in. Yeah. Like, I play Charlie XCX bangers <laughs> at front yeah. of house. And I practice my splits. And I say, how's everyone going? You know, and... Yeah. I'll need photos of their splits, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're online. They'll get you Instagram oh. banned. Yeah. Um, it was just another reminder that there's that prejudice that's just already assumed someone's distaste for me. It was unfortunately correct in this yeah. case. And it was something that made me feel really uncomfortable in my own workplace. And, and that's somewhere I'm... Mm. I spend most of my time mm. there. That's my, that's my... That's your space. That's my space. Yeah. It's this really interesting concept. And, you know, some of your experiences as well are around gender presentation, mm. um, around, you know, perceived femininity mm. and the confusion that that can have for other people. Mm. And it's a really interesting topic explored. Um, Matthew Todd, who's the, the one of the old editors of Attitude magazine in the UK, mm. yeah. has written a book, uh, Straight Jacket, How to Be Gay and Happy. Oh, I've just, oh. I just bought a copy. I haven't oh, read it yet. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's deep. It's heavy. The, one of the first topics that it raises is around the anxiety that we produce as mm. uh, particularly gay men growing up um, and our femininity. We learn from a very young age that it's actually punished through social isolation, through our parents telling us not to do things. And we learn very, very quickly to become hypervigilant of our mm. surroundings. And that's where this affluent, social, high-achieving gay male stereotype comes from as well yeah. because we're, we're kind of bred to be able to instantaneously read the reactions of other people and adjust yeah. our behaviour to make them like mm -hmm. us and we crave that kind of external validation and we learn to build a world for ourselves with that external validation totally. rather than loving ourselves yeah. as well. Yeah. What the result of that is is anxiety. Mm, to be yeah. constantly alert and constantly on means you have to have that fight or flight response. You mm. have to constantly be pumping adrenaline into your body. Mm. Um, and it's part of the part of the reason why, as particularly gay men, we have high rate of anxiety. Yeah. It's so true. I often think one of the safest places that I can be is, is, is with my family because, you know, I love them very much and they love me very much. My family are vaguely Catholic, but not really just sort of enough to get into the Catholic schools. And um, so I've got like 30 something cousins. So we have these like big family barbecues, mm. 20 something aunties and uncles there. And it should be where I'm feeling my safest and most confident because these are, mm. I'm surrounded by people that love me, but I constantly feel like they're going to be judging me. They're not, yeah. they're lovely people, but I constantly feel like, Oh, I can't talk about what's actually going in my life what i'm going to talk about is oh, i'm thinking about saving up for a deposit or mm, yeah. um you know oh aren't, aren't the kids going well i you know the little baby cousins and things going well i i you know hopefully one day i'll be having one of my own and stuff mm -hmm. 
And that's not what I want to talk about. Sounds like your life. No, near what I talk about in my life. No, it's not. I'm never going to have a deposit for a house. I'm never going to have children. But I feel like I need to be on the uh, sort of forefront saying, I'm wholesome as well. I'm good. I'm I'm, I'm part of your world. It's almost like you can be gay, but not too gay. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, stemming back to the marriage equality debate and the heteronormative ideal of what we're putting forward is that we're just Mm. like you. We're not different, but the LGBTI community in a lot of ways is different Mm, and we should be celebrating those differences as well but the unfortunate fact is we live in a world and a society where queerness in the sense of gender expression of not living that straight white Mm. picket fence kind of lifestyle that's seen as weird Mm. and people don't understand why you wouldn't want that and if you don't conform to that it's almost like you're challenging their life yeah. because yeah. it's so fragile yeah. um, and it's a bit of a conspiracy too like why everyone is living this one defined preset yeah. out way and the queer community go against that grain and to people that don't understand it it's really scary mm. a lot of those things you've talked about are learned behaviours but there are also behaviours that stick with us mm-hmm. for a very long time and because we're talking about mental health and a lot of our listeners are exploring their mental health and the mm. options that they have and the support that they have they're suddenly in a position where they have to examine and sort of tear down a lot of behaviours that have been built up for years and years and years that society has pushed upon them. People have come to me at work, like colleagues, and said, oh, it's so incredible. Like, you just know what everyone is doing and you know when there's a problem somewhere and if someone's having an issue, you're just, like, listening out Mm -hmm. and you're on there and you got it done. And... It's true, it's it's how I work, but I know, and I haven't had the heart to say, but that all stems from this childhood of constantly listening out for, are people talking about me? Have people spotted that I'm trying to pass as something else? Do they know that I'm gay? Is really it? And that is something that has continued to be a behaviour pattern for my entire life, and it's 100% right as... It means you're running off adrenaline energy, which just exhausts you. It, it leads to burnout. It mm. leads to all these terrible totally. things. And, and, and alcohol and substance mm. abuse too. Exactly. Because mm. we've got that internal narrative and the internal dialogue of, is that what's that person thinking? Yeah. Am I good enough? What do they think yeah. of me? And substances turn that voice off yeah, and yeah, give us an peace escape. and quiet. Yeah, totally. And if we can't, turn that voice off by ourselves, that's mm-hmm. when we fall into the trap of relying on other things to do it for us. I have a complicated relationship with alcohol. Currently, I, I only drink maybe two nights a week, but that has been a journey to get to mm. because I did identify really early on that if there was something I didn't like about the way I felt on a day-to-day basis, I'd just ramp up how much I drank. Mm. There was a period of my life where I drank... I think it was 32 days straight. I kept a a calendar and it wasn't just like have a glass of wine with dinner. It was Mm. get drunk and like not be able to stand up straight. It was a very unhappy time Mm. in my life. The drunk periods of that month felt great. And it made me realize that when I am not particularly happy with what 
I'm doing or how I'm feeling or the relationships that I have with other people that I do just supplement it with something else. It's kind of the first thing I watch for at the moment mm-hmm. if I'm not You're feeling right. great mm-hmm. is I go, well, i got to keep this away from me. I'm gesturing mm-hmm. to a box of wine in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so I've limited my drinking to social outings, pop yeah. chops, recording the <laughs> podcast so I can get through sitting with Tom for 40 minutes. <laughs> and other than that, I just kind of stay away from it. And the after effects of alcohol as well, um, I yeah. find that I become quite anxious yeah. the morning mm. after or in the day after. Um, it's not just the hangover, no. it's the um, mm. mental health hangover that comes with it or oh, the, the feeling of the, the sads the day after too. And I think for me, being hyper aware of the periods in my life where I have turned to alcohol for stress and it's so easy in the queer community in particular because we can enable each other yes. and we can disguise our pain and our sadness and our, in some cases, self-hatred or mm-hmm. unlove for ourselves. Um, we can disguise that by celebration and partying and pride, quote-unquote. So, those nights that you do want to drink 32 days in a row mm. in our community, it's possible to do yeah. and possible to do in a way that you can convince yourself you're being social and that there is an underlying problem or avoidance Mm -hmm. there and um i think because i've found myself doing that in the past not to the 32 days but definitely definitely, you know weekends at a time with friends and you get to the end of the week and you're like man that was so much fun but then looking back i'm like oh no i was actually just really unhappy in a lot of other communities doing something like that would just be flat out unacceptable Mm. and it's only with a bit of hindsight looking back to be like how the fuck did no one call me up on that? Mm. And I was in a relationship at that time. Mm-hmm. That guy said to me, oh, this is going to be interesting because since we've started dating, I have not actually hung out with you sober. Whoa. And it'd been like over yeah. three weeks. How did you feel hearing that? I was quite drunk at the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it was a gas. I thought it was so funny. Yeah. It needs to be okay in our community to say, I'm not, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to drink tonight. Mm. I don't feel like it. It's not what I want right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of members of our community struggle with verbalizing that because of standards that we have. And and the other way around, like a lot of us feel hard done by when our Mm -hmm. friends don't participate in our own behavior because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking for an excuse to get drunk for whatever reason, if your friend isn't doing it with you, then that shines a light on you. Oh, and totally. You then feel that. like maybe you should <laughs> exactly. You feel you feel yeah. exposed because there's safety in numbers. Mm. Um, so then we ourselves can get into that habit of pressuring our friends if they don't want to drink or they want to yeah. go home early. But really, that's just a form of not accepting people for who they are or accepting them as them mm. as well. I'm drinking, getting blackout drunk or stoned five to seven times a week mm. at the moment, and have been for a few months. Weirdly for me, I'm in a good place at the moment. Like, I, my mental health's not always perfect. It goes up and down like everybody's does. I wasn't doing very well for a while um, up until a few months ago. And for me, I don't do well if I have too much time alone. So, I, mm-hmm. my days from 8 a.m., you know, working, meetings, rehearsals, gigs, whatever. If I haven't got something that I have to do of an evening, I will make sure I'm at a drag show or an event yeah. or whatever and be getting blind drunk so that as soon as I get to bed, I can fall asleep. I guess you'd call it high-functioning alcoholism. Mm -hmm. But in a weird way, that's actually making me 
good during the day? Sure. But I don't know what the answer a, it's to that like is. A, it's, <laughs> it's acting what as What I'm a saying is, I don't know, maybe there's relief. people that also, yeah, I don't know if it's a relief sure. thing. It's, it's, for me, it's about making sure that I'm busy. Yeah. So it's not so much the alcohol, it's that of an evening I can go out to a bar and hang out with friends and not be by myself. That's a type of numbing that voice in your head mm. as well. You know, alone time is when that voice yeah, is I guess louder right, actually. as well. Yeah, and by externalising conversations, being in busy environments, we don't have mm. that alone time to process our thoughts. Mm. But processing our thoughts is a really important part of coming to terms with what we're feeling mm. um, and yeah. creating separation between what we're feeling um, and giving it space to to accept and allow it too. So what are you doing about that? You said that maybe you will be giving up alcohol or was that? Uh, well, that, that's so uh, that I can quit smoking because I, I smoke I smoke a pack a day and I paid $43.50 today for a packet of cigarettes. I did a packet the other day and I felt so bad oh, about myself. disgusting. And, and every time I've quit smoking, I've started again when I'm drunk. So I decided yeah. when I get back from Bali, I'm going to have a few weeks sober. But I need all three of you and anyone else you know to come around yeah. to my house as often as possible because okay. I'm not good at being alone. Yeah. I can't just go out oh, to the bars. Oh, we can do dinners. We live down the street now. Good, yeah. yeah, I've got we a can video do some dry game dinners. where you make. Soup. There's only like four things I can cook. You've got <laughs> yeah. a video game where you make soup. Yeah, I know I a video game can... where you can blow guys in a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we are laying our cards on the table. We're going to be we're open and honest talking about our mental health yeah. in this episode. One thing I really wanted to talk about is um, on and off I've been to get help and, and, and see um, therapists. The first time I did uh, was a few years ago and I was in a really dark place. I came out of a very difficult breakup because the relationship was went for a couple of years and we were living mm-hmm. together we were um very insular in our relationship and i'd sort of lost a lot of friends and i came out of it without any support or anything like that i'm, I'm not good at talking about stuff with friends and so i like keeping everything friendly and happy because if i don't have to think about it then i don't have to address it mm-hmm. and and it's easy to keep it yeah avoid pent up exactly yeah um and one day i just sort of had like a little bit of a breakdown at work confided in a colleague who suggested i went to our EPA, which is our um, employee assistance program. So, my, my day job has a um, program where they have a partnership with a, a psychology practice. Work pays for it. Oh, that's really cool. Which is a, a great program and it's fantastic that it exists. So, it was the first time I'd been to see someone. You just get p- matched up with somebody. And the guy that I went to see was this blokey, straight guy. And I was at my wit's end and I just opened up and I said, I told him everything. Went through what I was feeling about this end of this relationship. 
I haven't spoken about this on the podcast before, but Josh Thomas um, from Please Like Me and I mm. were together for a couple of years. Mm. And so, when we broke up, it was a really difficult breakup to go through because he was on television all the time. All of my friends wanted to remain friends with him. I felt like people were more loyal to him because of his public persona and that sort of thing. Yeah. He's a great person now, I realise. It's been years. It's fine. He's not a bad person. But at the time, I really was not well and I hated him and regretted everything. So, I went into this practice, laid my heart on the table. At the end of the session, the psychologist said, oh, I don't really think you have a problem. Um, you're just going through a breakup. I don't think you need to come back again. Oh. And it was the worst thing anyone could have said to me mm. because it was the first time I'd sort of opened up how I was feeling. Mm. Um, I still don't talk about it now because I feel like people are like, oh, you're name dropping. And it's like Mm -hmm. really hard to talk about. So, I wanted to talk about finding the right person. And how do you do that? Like, how do you know that it's the right person to open your heart up to? And what happens when you don't? (laughs) Um, And Luke, I'm really interested to hear your perspective of this working (laughs) in a, a, well, as someone that needs a lot of help, but also (laughs) 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 working in a practice. Like, how how do you match people up? Yeah. And, and, And how... Should someone looking for help, how do you go about trying to find yeah, the right person? Absolutely. Look, I, I'm really glad we get to talk about this because I've had people message me as well asking the same question and mm. it's something I think is really important. I've, I've been through a similar experience. I've seen, I think, four different psychologists until I've found the most recent one who is a very good match. And I've always considered it really similar to dating. It really comes down to your ideals, the way that you're able to connect with that individual. For me personally, you know when there's a good working relationship because working on your mental health is work. It isn't some kind of get a prescription Mm -hmm. and you take that and then you're better. It's actual work and and you need to sit in that first appointment, I feel, and really assess, are we going to work together well as colleagues because we've got a problem to fix or we've got a puzzle to solve and it's the two of us working on it together. Sometimes that working relationship can be easier to find when you are looking for it from a place of stability Mm. as opposed to to a crisis situation. We get so many referrals and so many clients coming in that are in a crisis state and that is often a breakup situation. Those are often not the best times to have an objective view of the situation. Yeah. You're coming in being like, I, I need something right now and, mm-hmm. and it's an emergency. This needs mm-hmm. to be fixed. Mm-hmm. A common thing, especially in Australia with our attitudes, which are so relaxed, mm-hmm. is to be like, but it's not that bad. So, I'll leave it. I don't need it yeah. right now. I think what you're yeah. saying, you're sort of saying that finding the right person is never going to happen when you're in that flux state of panic. Yeah, it can happen. But I really encourage people that if you have those niggling mm. thoughts and you have moments where you're feeling blue, that is a completely yeah. valid time to mm-hmm. seek help as well. Yeah, And if not, a better time because you may be able to make more mm. objective yeah, right. decisions. Yeah. Yeah. 
in like, that process. But don't put it off until the crisis happens. Exactly. You sort of preemptively sort yeah. of seek out help. It can sometimes take time as well, particularly if you're going to a GP and getting a referral. That's the other the, thing. I, the, I really hate that process. Yeah. For a lot of people with mental health, like the stigma and, and the fear of talking to anyone mm-hmm. about it is so hard. You, you have to demonstrate depression or anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. We know we can go and see a mental health profession for a whole other range of reasons too. Mm. But that process, you know, can sometimes take a few days to go see a GP. You get your referral. Sometimes it might take a little bit of time to get a booking mm. with a mental health provider. If that mental Absolutely. health provider isn't the right fit for you, then, you, then some, yeah. you, you, you may have to go see somebody else, get an appointment with them, who you don't have to see regularly as well. You, don't yeah. Have, yeah. you, can, you can find that person you have that connection with and then have them on file You've got their contact for if something does come up as well. Absolutely. Mm. This is mainly specific to our Australian listeners, but the government system at this point is our Medicare system will provide rebates on psychological services under what's called a mental health care plan, which you get from your doctor or your GP. They do tend to refer or put a name on those referrals, which means I am sending you to this person for anyone out there that is interested in starting that work and that journey you can actually go to your gp get that mental health care plan done and say leave the name blank i want to find that person myself Mm -hmm. oh okay i want to speak to my friends or other people that have had experiences with this and you can actually just call back once you've found the person Mm -hmm. and say can you update it and put in the name that you've found right And there are so many different psychologists out there and different modes of working and different personality types that I think it's important not to get disheartened if you walk Mm. away from that first session, not getting what you feel like you've paid for that can actually turn you off the system completely Mm. and just go, I'm going to disengage at this point. But stick with it and Mm. maybe try investigating it now I'm only talking from personal experience, but Mm. it's what's happened with me is like, I went, I'm in a pretty good spot right now. I'm feeling happy, achieving goals. So I'm going to look for someone now. And within that first session, I realized this is the perfect person for me because immediately it was challenging. She wasn't charmed by me. She didn't find Mm. me funny. None of the tricks that I could use to get out of actually working on what I wanted to work on. All the skills that we'd talked about that I'd learnt from being in the closet over half of my life didn't work on this person. Mm. And I realized this is the psych that I want you to want see. It, yeah. mm. And I've had crisis moments since starting work with her. And I was so lucky that I'd already made that connection because then I could go in and say, look, this is what's happened. I've fucked up. Mm. You know, I've, I've really done it this, <laughs> this mm. time. Yeah. And I didn't have to start from point A from that crisis mode. It's good to know from your view of things that with the referral that you can sort of leave it open-ended. Absolutely. Because that's something that I didn't know at all. And like in my very first crisis moment when I was about 20 years old, I had a complete mental breakdown. My anxiety was the worst it's ever been in my life. 
And I was just fortunate enough that I had a GP that linked me up to someone who really worked well with me and really helped me sort through my stuff because I didn't want to go on medication because I'd seen what it had done to a lot of my friends mm. where they had completely turned into zombies. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always... Yeah. And for the first sort of month, because I had to wait about six weeks before I could even get an appointment with this psychologist, my doctor was like, look, I would like you to go on said medication just to sort out your physical reactions to Mm. what's going on and then we'll wean you off of it which was good for that moment in my life and they were amazing and like they really took care of me but since then and moving away from where I lived I have sort of been reluctant to seek out a new psychologist just because that whole process of finding someone new or just being referred to someone because that's the what the GP has recommended has sort of been like, do I really want to go through this process again? Yeah. Even though I'm not in a crisis mode, like I know that I do need to seek out help. But it's really, really good to know that you can sort of just be like, look, I want to look for my own person. Yeah, absolutely. Because for the last sort of two months, I've been thinking like, okay, like things aren't bad, but I can see things getting really bad in the future if I don't sort of deal with my anxiety that I'm dealing with now, my social anxiety in this present moment. That's the perfect time, yeah. I think. You know, I've just realized you something you just said made me realize how lucky we are. I'm complaining about having to go get a referral from a GP mm. to go to get mental health assistance. And you said for people in Australia, and it's like, well, yeah, it is fucking annoying that we have to do that, and it's shit that we have to do that. But thank God we're not in America where there is no healthcare, mm. especially for mental health. We are very lucky to at least have what we do have. And one of the most common reasons why Australians are going to their GP now these days anyway, is for a mental health plan. Mm. So if you have had a negative experience in the past, particularly with a GP, that is becoming more common part of their Mm. job. Mm. Um, And for me, what has worked really well, because I too had an experience where in my 20s, I went and saw a straight psychologist who just freaked out at this idea when I said I just broke up with a guy and you could see in his eyes that he was Mm. like... What do I say? Which made me feel uncomfortable and I didn't feel like sharing the things that I needed to share. And so, avoided that until earlier this year. Again, that sort of feeling that, oh, I'd been feeling pretty anxious Mm. and I was finally on holiday and I thought, oh, man, like I'm I'm feeling like relaxed and this is what Mm. I should feel like all the time. Like, how do I feel like this? So, I need to go see someone to help me Mm. feel like that. And I went to my um, sort of sexual health clinic that was very queer focused. I actually asked them for a referral. My idea was I needed somebody LGBTI Mm. friendly and mentioned that I also work in the mental health sector and they referred me to a gay man who specialises in working with people who work in the mental health sector. Oh, wow. So, that was that specific. And so, they they had that information on file and that was really beneficial for me for those similar reasons. I couldn't bullshit him. Yeah. You know, he he knew the, he knew all those telltale signs of yeah. people that work in the sector and the language. You know, I can articulate yeah. myself in a way that oh, makes absolutely. me sound like I've got my shit together when bubbling under the surface. I'm like screaming in my head. And to be able to have that instant rapport with somebody who, you know, you've got an hour session in your first session. I didn't have to explain my queerness. I didn't have to explain the anxieties that come Mm -hmm. from those microaggressions and from living in a straight world. I could talk about my work and about minus 18 and the pressures of running a business in the queer world and lateral violence and pressures from your own community. And suddenly it was just somebody who understood me. 
instantly those barriers were broken down and the trust was built. And it is like dating almost because you're looking for that connection and mm-hmm. that shared understanding. Absolutely. Because it allows you to open up to a level that you don't open up to everyone on a regular basis, which is exactly what they're there to do. The good thing is I think the psychology world is sort of understanding that on some level and that if you go to a lot of especially Melbourne-based psychology practice websites, they will list in the biographies of psychologists whether they are LGBT individuals or not because Mm. we've kind of realised that is an important part of the process. And I think we've also talked a lot about the online space and how that impacts the LGBT community. A lot of psych services now have online submission There's some forms. really great online. Yeah. Yeah. When you're filling in those online submission forms saying, I want to see someone, don't be afraid to put in there, I want to see an LGBT individual or I identify. Because yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, they're coming to people like me and we're getting 10 to 20 of those every day mm-hmm. and we are doing our best to match people to avoid the situations that you had if you put that info in there i immediately know okay this is the person that you need to go to so on the topic of mental health this week i'd like to chat about how it is also important to surround yourself with friends who also support whatever mental health issues you're going through and like the importance of having great friends around you so important yeah and like how great a queer friend and like do you value those relationships just as much as you would as like a romantic relationship as well if not more important i mean i feel like a good friend is there for life that's it and a good boyfriend for me last (laughs) (laughs) till tuesday (laughs) until the ketamine wears off um One thing that you did mention on, though, is that how do they support us, but also how do we support our friends? And I think the answer to that is questions. Always be asking questions. Check on your friends. Just checking in. As much as I hate the concept of Are You OK Day, the idea behind it is a great one, which is Mm. to be asking your friends. I just don't like that everyone just does it on one day. I think it should be something you do all the time. But it is so important to be checking in with people, asking questions. If someone's, you know, being a bit coy, not answering their phone, whatever, not replying to messages, ask why. Like, just say, are you OK? What's that? Oh, fuck, I'm, I'm sitting. <laughs> but, but it's true. Are you okay? Like, and there's, yeah. there's another element to it as well that I've noticed this year in particular, and that's flipping it on its head and sharing mm. when you're not okay with yes. your friends yeah, yeah. and showing that vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I have one friend who, you know, we, we've always been quite close, but this year I rocked up on his doorstep in tears after a particularly yeah. hard incident and just like flopped down on his couch, cried about what I'd experienced that day. Yeah. And from that moment onwards, he felt way more comfortable and I saw tangibly opening up Mm -hmm. to me about his own experiences that he'd been going through as well because I'd expressed that vulnerability and relied on him for support Mm. and defined to him through action that that was acceptable within our relationship Mm, and it can be really hard when we ask people are you okay because even to that question our default answer is yeah I'm fine Mm. or like oh yeah stress works hard Mm -hmm. feeling a bit sad and then you go oh okay well I'm here for you but not knowing not knowing how to dig deeper and then Mm. of course not knowing what to do when somebody does share an overload with you Mm. but it's actually also really easy Mm. by Mm. being there and what really helped me is understanding that all people want to know is that you care Mm. and that you are there Mm. and to display 
empathy for the situation, which is saying, I'm sorry that that has occurred to you. That's really unfair. I'm here for you and I'm going to be here with you in this moment. And that's the difference to sympathy, which is kind of silver lining other people's negative experiences and saying, Mm. oh, that's really shit. If you've got a bad day at work and saying, oh, at least you've got a job. You know, that's sympathy. Mm. Yeah. To hold those two differences, that has helped me understand how to be a good friend Mm. as well. Um, And that's to sit there and experience that negativity with them for a little while. I think queer friendships are super important and it's something I'm learning more about. JB, who has been name dropped in almost every episode of the show, my best friend. Almost. Fucking (laughs) more than me, and I've been on every episode. Is like an honorary queer friend of of mine. And we have such a strong friendship and strong bond. And it was exactly because of opening up these really uncomfortable or like stereotypically uncomfortable situations you know i'd been through a suicide attempt Mm -hmm. i i was just not myself and a really unpleasant person to be Mm -hmm. around more so than i wasn't gonna go there after you said suicide attempt (laughs) i I gave you a freebie (laughs) no no, i'm not gonna go there right now and just being able to reach out to someone and say i really need you to just be in the space with me i have nothing to provide Mm -hmm. you as a person i think a lot of our friendships come down to this provide and like what do i give you when you give mm, me mm-hmm. and just being able to say i can't give you anything i can't even crack a joke right now mm, yeah. but if you can just sit next to me i think just he was be with me i think he was yeah. watching the fucking football on his phone <laughs> and i was just sitting on the couch yeah. next to him but i appreciated it and it meant Is the that, world yeah. to me and it strengthened our relationship so much um but what i've also learned from doing this show and spending more time with you boys is that there's a shared experience and there's a unique perspective on things that I've experienced, mm. you know? It's it's mm. it's kind of like seeing the director's cut of a movie or, or like a behind the scenes. <laughs> you realise, oh, there's this other thing going yeah. on with the thing that I saw that I think these queer friendships and LGBT friendships are so important and, and really strengthen who we are and what we are as a community. Mm. I hate to give this episode a story arc. I hate to make this <laughs> podcast creatively successful. Yeah. But I've just realised there's a quite a, a few things that tie into this that we've talked about already that I haven't really thought about before. You're sort of saying it is wonderful to have gay friends, but you've got a bit of an exception with JB where you cut through the bullshit. And we were talking about seeing a GP, you know, if if, if you need to explain what gay is before you ever get to talk about your problems, that's not a true connection. There's layers between you and that person. Yeah. So you've got something rare with JB where you don't have to do that. But yeah. to go back to the very start of the episode where, where Michael was talking about how they're seeing um, fewer young gay male identifying people needing help and assistance, perhaps the more that everything becomes accepted, the less that we need to have a friendship circle that identifies the same way as us because that few layers of difference between us it doesn't exist so much anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. for us, that's not going to happen. But I, I'm, th- I'm thinking like in the future, if this trend continues where people are feeling more accepted and not needing to be in sort of like a secluded group. There's a trend of queerness increasing. And with every generation, you know, they, they, they ask generations to rank themselves on the Kinsey scale, which is one to mm. six, one being exclusively heterosexual and six yeah. being exclusively homosexual. And with every generation in America at the moment, queerness is increasing by about 10%. 
every wow. generation. Oh, cool. um, so the most recent generation of 14 to 20-year-olds, um, less than 50% identified as exclusively straight, which meant mm-hmm. that 52% of young people said that they were open to being queer. Our recruitment yeah, yeah. program's yeah. working. <laughs> yeah. Minus18.org.au. Yeah. And Take what, that Australian uh, Christian lobby. <laughs> but, you know, it, it ties in because it's mm. not just that we're becoming more accepting. It's that we are becoming more open yes, to ourselves and is, to yeah. our own expression. And I look yeah. to my straight friendships mm-hmm. that I have and they are overwhelmingly pretty queer acting yeah. people, mm. even though they identify as straight. You know, they'll be intimate with people of the same gender. They won't think twice about making out with someone of the same yeah. gender. Yeah, yeah. And so that barrier is already removed from their own identity. Yeah. So even though they are straight, we have a shared experience and yeah, a shared absolutely. openness. Yeah. I think that comes down to like a worldly population thing, whereas like as the world has more and more people, the minority groups are getting bigger and bigger and they're sort of becoming more accepting of each other. And everyone's just like, oh, actually, this isn't such a weird thing. Whereas like mm. 50 years ago, being gay was the weirdest fucking thing mm-hmm. you could ever be and like, the most <laughs> horrible thing. Whereas like now that the population has increased so much more, there are so many more people that are identifying that way that it's sort of just like, oh, okay, yeah. It's that, but like, it's also the connection, which the is conne- the internet. Yeah. And that's um, people being able to share their stories with yeah. other people. And once you can humanize someone's story, you become more accepting of them. Yeah. And I think that's why, especially the... Um, well, the LGBTI, but especially the gay and lesbian mm. community has progressed so far in such a short period of time is the internet yeah. and television as well. You know, we talked yeah. about as trivial as it sounds, things like Will and Grace. By connecting the things that you dislike about people with actual human beings, you become far more accepting of them. And, and uh, so I think that's been very helpful. There's one more element of queer friendship in particular, that I think is really important to touch on. And that's that we don't define what queer love is. Mm. When you look at straight or heteronormative love, it is that romantic individual partner who is your sensual, intimate, Mm. emotional and sexual support. Whereas, you know, we are more open to the idea of being poly, of having open relationships, which automatically decouples all of those things from from the same person. So we can have friends who we cuddle and we are sensual with or who we rely on for emotional support and then we have a primary partner who we have sex with and then we might have a romantic partner Mm. who we don't have sex with and we're we're open to deconstructing that idea of what love even is, which Mm. means we can Mm. share that amongst the people within our circle. And for a lot of us, it is part of our culture to have already had sexual or romantic relationships with the people that transition into friendships as well. Mm. So we're open to that connection from the get-go. And that's a really good point. A lot of heterosexual people won't have close friends of the opposite sex. It's it's a taboo thing. It's weird. It's threatening to the partner. Whereas LGBTI people, I mean, a lot of my friends are people that I had sex with. I met off Grindr or at a club or whatever, ended up being friends. And I've also had the opposite. I've had people that have been friends that have ended up being partners. Because we don't have these centuries of rules forced on us about how relationships and friendships are so separate, we are a lot more open to having a blurred line between all of those things. Absolutely. I feel like it's a healthy healthy thing. Well, we make our own rules and we forge what relationships should look Mm. like and what works for us. And we're all different. Some of us, you know, don't 
want to have sex at all. Mm, Some yeah. of us want to have monogamy, but still want to mm-hmm. have really close, intimate, sensual friendships yeah, without totally. our partner being jealous of that. Yeah. And we get to define that of what works for ourselves rather than listening to these ideas that have been handed down from generation to generation yeah. just because. My little darling boys, I'm not going to be able to see you next week because I am a gay man in my 30s, which means I'm legally obliged to go to Bali once a year <laughs> and hang out with the gorgeous boys at Bali Joe's. So I, I'm not going to be here next week, but we are going to have a wonderful fill-in. Luke, yeah. if you could be as rude as you possibly can, that would Always. be wonderful. That's my um, default. But I'll be back the week after. I've had a... Look, we've, we've touched on some really heavy stuff, but yeah, thanks have. everybody for being so open. I hope that our listeners have taken something from it. I think the Absolutely. the most important message is if you can't love yourself, <laughs> no, <laughs> don't vote for Paul on my podcast. <laughs> and no. I just want to thank Micah for coming in tonight and yes, in thank you. You've been such a wonderful guest. It's been great. It's been and great. like, if any of our listeners want to like help support minus eighteen or get involved, like, how would they go about doing that? Oh my gosh, there are so many ways. <laughs> but you can go to minus um, If you're in a workplace or in a youth service or in a corporation, we can come in and uh, do some LGBTI inclusive training with you and you can book that on our website um, you can run a fundraiser for us to help us continue supporting LGBTI Aussie youth you can sponsor a ticket to the queer formal and pay for a young person to attend um, or if you just want to make a general donation to keep our programs alive you can do that at minus18.org.au as well amazing thank you also just want to chuck in there don't forget to follow Gays Revolting on Facebook and Twitter and we have our new Instagram because Mikey wrecked the old one I'm sorry that is at Gays Revolting Pod share it because I know a lot of people were probably wondering where our posts of Mikey's butt have gone yes we'll DM if everyone that shares our post will DM you the picture of Mikey's butt or just go to my Instagram page yeah or I have also there's an YouTube channel I can show you (laughs) don't forget our Facebook group as well which you know, I'm really happy with how much people have been sharing in there. It's um, uh, the gays are revolting. You can post ideas for talk spots or if there's anything you want to chat about that we've talked about in previous episodes, pop it in there and we'll have a little chat. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Thank it's you, so lovely darling. seeing you all we'll see again. You soon. Yes, absolutely. See you all next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>